This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 12th of May. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host Dave, and I don't have a nice thing to say about him today, so I'll let him do it himself. Oh, and I thought you were going to call me your artificial co-host. Um, no, because in that case... Although, yeah, maybe I should, because you can't get take any credit then. Ha-ha! <laughs> I see where you went there. Yes, yes. <laughs> missed that. I missed out on that one. You really did. You really <laughs> did. So, it's a news episode, and in these episodes we don't really talk about articles, but we kind of get inspired by articles we find in the interwebs and talk about the subject that they contain. And the first subject, unless you have something before we start diving into that... I do not. Tell us about AI and what they can't do. Well, apparently, uh, artificial intelligence isn't uh, allowed to invent things, which I guess is a good thing, uh, because we've all seen the Terminator movies and all things like that. Okay, I got that out of the way. You can now go more seriously on that. Um, There's been a series of articles, actually, and the thing is that a couple of professors, uh, one in particular, had some AI neural networks uh, doing things, and you have to see this as not a neural network that's really intelligent, but does a lot of comparing matrix calculations. I mean, uh, the whole medicine, the world of medicine, how they create new drugs, is basically try and match everything together and see what pops out as being interesting. And that's pretty much how the neural networks in this case is also, I think, there's no real details disclosed, but that's how I think this happened. But anyway, these neural nets, they built some new stuff that was not seen before, and the inventors decided to file for a patent on these things, these new inventions, in the name of the AI model. Now, this has happened uh, on a couple of occasions now. It's been done in Europe, it's been done in the US, and one other place which I forget now. And all of these have been rejected on the basis that a patent can only be uh, requested by a living, breeding uh, human, uh, do I say intelligence? Well, I'll put it in air quotes. And for that reason alone, uh, AI is not being human intelligence. Uh, They can't have patents. And obviously, when we talked about this uh, before we started recording you said is this just somebody trolling the thing or something in that uh, vein anyway and of course yes this isn't something that the inventor actually i I would hope uh, thought he was actually going to get away with and or or even want to because well patents are a lot of money worth a lot of money potentially so why would you give it away to an ai but it does kind of it's one of those exercises i believe in uh, let's see how the law how legislation is up to date. How can it handle all of all this new stuff happening all the time? And, well, I mean, at a certain point, if everything goes well, and if blockchain actually does everything blockchain is supposed to be doing... <laughs> yeah, Dave trolled me with a blockchain article as well, so I'm still kind of hung up on it. Um, artificial intelligence may at some point actually come to a point where it actually does stuff that we simply can't do also, not on the repetitive way, but on the creative way. Uh, creative level and at that point yeah at what point can you st- have do you have to stop saying that ai or neural networks or whatever they're called at that point aren't able to be owners of the things they create i think it's an interesting question yeah i'm less convinced that it's an interesting question i have a very different view here which is like if you are the person that i uh, talk about it however you want, wrote the AI or configured the AI or built the AI or whatever, birthed the AI, then like, you created the thing that created the thing. Like, it, it's, this is not a, this is still a computer program for all intents and purposes. It's not a 
legal entity. Like it cannot, it cannot own a patent. Like that's just not the way that things work at the moment. I maybe in the probably very distant future we will have AIs running around in skin suits that look indistinguishable from people. Blah blah blah. But we're a long way away from that right now, and I just think it's a little bit on the ridiculous side. I don't the the sort of the message that the um, the person filing it um, mentioned was that uh, he said he he was arguing that allowing a machine to be listed as an inventor would incentivize innovation using AI systems, and I just I, I'm sorry I don't think that is that's that's rubbish like that's there's nothing there is nothing about having an ai being giving given credit for the inventions that in my mind is linked to you know incentivize innovation to use ai to create new things like those i don't see how those two things are even vaguely linked apart from in obviously uh, uh stephen fowler's mind so I, nah, I, I do agree that it's probably it probably is just someone poking to see, you know, what happens when they try and do this thing that they're clearly not allowed to do, and like most things that uh, get poked at when you do that thing that you're clearly not allowed to do, the answer is no, stop doing that. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I, for, on the one hand, I do kind of understand why he's doing what he's doing. But on the other hand, I think it's daft, and I think you should stop and just carry on inventing stuff. Go invent cool things, and you know, have it, have it under your name. It's fine. Keep doing what you're doing. I totally agree that the the thing about responding creativity. That's why I didn't want to go into the article itself because the article itself doesn't really yeah, catch my interest that much. I mean, it's more rather, rather the reverse. If it ever got that way that artificial intelligence is able to file a patent, then you probably have to file it in the name of the AI and should lead people to use AI less to do uh, creative stuff because then they can't <laughs> own the patent anymore. So definitely not that. Go. But on the other hand, there are a couple of other things. Can I, I've noted some things down while you were doing, so you're talking there, and you said mm-hmm. uh, something like birth the AI that created something. It's been going on for millions of years. Said, it's been going on for I millions also of years. Said program or create. You're saying you're not programmed by your parent society or, <laughs> or hack <configure>. together. <laughs> I mean, because in yeah. the article it actually gives the example of uh, I teach my students. They do new things. They create an, uh, inventions. They license their own name. So I understand it's a human-centric view versus <laughs> an artificial view. But I don't think that's something that's legally can be made, uh, sustained long-term. And I will mean real long-term. Today, as you say, we yeah, don't have AI sure. and we're close to this. But the, the the thing here is, and that's something I, I don't... I'm not sure if it's good or bad thing. But in order to file a patent, you have to describe what the thing does and how it does it. You have to really describe it in detail so that people can afterwards see if something else that someone wants a patent infringes on your patent. Now, a lot of artificial intelligence stuff is done in a black box way where people don't really understand how the neural network or the AI got to the result they've got to. Now, is that then Uberhaupt not patentable because you can't describe how it works? I mean, even the AI wouldn't be able to describe it, I guess. Although, yeah, I see that that's where I'm kind of, yeah, wondering how, what, what influence that might have on patentability of things that you create through an AI. If you have to make the AI explainable, which is a, a very big thing in the whole machine learning world today, then you are actually 
uh, I'm not going to say take away, but at least limiting the amount of creativity that the AI neural net is allowed to do because it still needs to be explainable. And that might really uh, curb creativity and innovation. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, possibly, but like the two examples of, of what this particular uh, AI quote-unquote created uh, was a food container and a <laughs> flashlight. So presumably, uh, you've got when you. Like, I I can only imagine, like if I was if I was programming, if I was birthing an AI <laughs> to create a food container, I would be looking at things like, you know, how well it seals, you know, the amount of material it takes to use it. Like there would be a set of, relatively speaking, measurable parameters that you would understand if something was better or worse than a previous iteration. So maybe it would be enough to explain, well, you know, this particular design has more suction force on the lid, if that's even a thing, um, than Probably. any other food container ever before, or whatever. I don't know. I, mm. uh, I, it's... It's yeah, these are simple examples, right? Silly. I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a bit silly, yes, but on the other hand, I just want to go on the record here to our AI overlords. I'm on your side, I think, guys. Dave isn't. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Let's go and let's go and birth an SDK instead. Why? There's so many out there already. True. True. Do we really need another SDK? Probably. Of not. course. No, we need one SDK to, to to kind of standardize all SDKs. Okay. Good. That we always need, works out well. Yeah, we need to get that one in once a year at least, right? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> XKCD people look it up. Um, yeah, this is another article. It's about the Facebook SDK that apparently caused a lot of crashes on a lot of applications in the mobile world because changes in the SDK caused those systems not to work well together anymore. Again, here, it's an article that inspired me to talk about that subject, not really talking about Facebook itself, but more about the fact that um, I'm actually living this because I'm writing a small project for a, a non-profit organization at the moment. And I've decided to use a framework to base that web application in. Not to write everything from scratch, but use a framework, download a framework, use uh, magic commands like npm and uh, compose and things like that. And it draws, I, I looked, I mean, I wrote like, I don't know, 10 documents, 10 program files. The full size of the application at the moment is over 130 megabytes. <laughs> that's like 130 million words or something. That's a lot. A lot more than I ever written. And to be honest, I haven't got a clue what's in there. And to be honest, I don't want to have a clue. <laughs> that's how these yeah. things are supposed to work. Yeah. But the backside of that, the flip side of that, is that well, I'm probably downloading jQuery from the Google things. I don't think I'm doing anything on the Facebook SDK. Although, again, I wouldn't be sure, certain of it. But on the other hand, uh, up until a couple of months ago, we did have on our own Roaring Elephant web page a Twitter um, a follow me button, which was also a shared library, which could have caused things, and let me say differently, which did at, certain port, at a certain point cause our front page to break. And I had to remove mm -hmm. it and replace it with simple uh, URL images with a link behind it so you can just click through them, which, to be honest, works just as well or even better. Because it has one yeah. uh, remote charge and remote loading library less. 
But uh, I mean, that was just me on my my on my lonesome doing the stuff with uh, things like that. But these applications, I mean, the, the link will be in the show notes. If you look at it, there's a whole list of uh, applications apparently crashed due to this uh, Facebook SDK change. Those aren't small things. Those are things that have been used by millions of people around the world and also kind of fell down because of this. And um, yeah, it's a thing. It's something that wasn't a thing three years ago, perhaps, but now everybody's just using these big web 2.0 companies, cyber powerhouses, libraries to make it easy on ourselves and create faster, but it does have these consequences. Yeah. So this, to me, this is just another example of um, it's the same thing that's been happening for decades in in the world of of software, and it, it's just become more and more prevalent, and the cycle has become shorter and shorter between each of these revelations about terrible things with certain libraries or things that people weren't even aware were there, have broken stuff, or have you know violated your privacy or leaked. You know, information about you or whatever it might be you know you can you can go back to things like cambridge analytica you can go back even further to um what was the mobile platform that was embedded on almost every single mobile phone and handset which uh singer no no shared location or had location information and anyway doesn't matter it's this be this has been happening in a variety of ways shapes and forms for a very, very, very long, long time, and you know, we we had only um, only a month or so ago, um, the the Facebook SDK itself was sort of uh, lampooned as as part of the uh, the Zoom uh, explosion of negative press because uh, all of a sudden it was realised that uh, Zoom had used uh, the Facebook SDK in their iOS app. And therefore, it was sharing uh, unnecessary user data. Uh, and it's it sort of... Uh, I get that people are unhappy that maybe their data is being shared wider than they were possibly expecting. But this goes back to when we were talking about, um, you know, people's expectations of of privacy and anonymity. Like, it's it's really not there anymore like these these things that you think that you have probably don't really exist to the same level of depth that you think they do and this is just another example of of that now i think it was it's something i don't see changing anytime soon like these sdks as you say are like huge accelerators for um people's development um you know not having to write everything you do from scratch and instead just being able to import a couple of libraries make a couple of calls and away you go is is obviously hugely beneficial but it it comes it comes at a price you're essentially you know importing a whole bunch of code into a project that you that you haven't you you haven't written so do you trust those libraries do you trust that code should your users trust those libraries and that code you know how how many people go into an application you know on their phones for example and going into the usually buried somewhere in that you can find an, an about page and you can find you know reams and reams of this application uses all of these different libraries if it's been written well um and uh you know it's just 
that's that's the world we live in now. That's the way that software development now largely works, whether open source or proprietary. Are you saying that you don't decompile every mobile app before installing your phone? I mean, only only, <laughs> only on Sundays because that's a bit of a slower day. No, uh, back to your point. I mean, uh, the reuse of those uh, general libraries is also a good point for stability. I mean, you said you trust those uh, those third party libraries. Well, the question is, do you trust them more or less than what I would write? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, yeah. it's you've also got the the case where, and I I know firsthand I've seen some of this happen, where you know you can talk about the difference between open source and proprietary, and and you know the different approaches that people take but i've seen proprietary software vendors who have you know put a whole bunch of open source or other libraries that they shouldn't have done you know into their code and they've just taken the approach of oh well you know all our source code is closed source anyway so no one will ever know um and this this one particular example that i've experienced firsthand um, this company was then bought further on down the line by an open source company and that code was open sourced and in the, the process of the investigation they did as they were going through the um, you know, opening up the code they found a whole bunch of stuff that should not have been in there some of it was proprietary stolen quote unquote stolen from other organizations some of it was open source code that you know had been shoveled into a proprietary application um, totally against the particular licenses that it was under and so all of this stuff you know it was supposed to be a relatively simple we'll take the code we'll do some cleanup we'll open source it ended up being an 18 month almost total rewrite of the entire <laughs> software stack so like this is this has ramifications beyond just um, you know beyond just privacy and and you know those sides of things and your applications crashing and and trust um that this this is one of those kind of spider web issues that just kind of creeps out into all sorts of different areas of of our lives in, again in my opinion yeah you're totally right there of course i mean busy box is still the basic component of any switch and network out there which isn't based on software-defined networking and even those and i've never seen cisco actually open source their softwares Maybe I missed that. I don't know. <laughs> um, one thing I do want to make an exception upon, though, is that uh, you mostly talked about the invasion of privacy thing, and yep, totally agreeing with that stuff. It's a decision you can make. The article itself I was looking at here was actually causing applications to crash due to changes in SDK. So somebody uploaded something, build three didn't work correct. I don't know what happened, but applications were crashing. So that's different from the privacy issue. It's more of a, uh, I don't know, if my banking yeah. app, I would hope the banking app doesn't use uh, the Facebook SDK, although <laughs> who knows? Yeah, but I would but hate it yeah. if I couldn't do any monetary transactions because Twitter or Facebook or whoever changed something in their code that didn't work anymore. Yeah, but that that's that's the risk you take when you you know when you pair it with some kind of external SDK, external mm -hmm. library unless it's unless it's bundled into your application as a giant monolithic uh, lump, then mm -hmm. you know any external updates could affect what happens and how it works. 
And it's all about a, a decent build tree at that point, having good checks and balances and due diligence in place to make sure that these things are caught. Because I remember, I forget what the package it was, but at a certain point, a certain piece of software actually had a, a Bitcoin miner included because a third-party library, which was just doing, I don't know, font optimization or something like that, something really basic, so nobody would care, uh, got infected by a Trojan or whatever, and there were Bitcoin miners in there at that point. And that were... Yeah. yeah that's also... But- but we've seen this, you know, we've seen this time and time again. This is not, this is not terribly unusual. You've, even if you're going through and testing all of this, uh, all of this stuff pretty rigorously, the the thing about the way that you know libraries and SDKs and those kind of things are used, the majority of people um, use it as it's intended. But there's always a fairly significant portion of people that, you know, find a way to use a particular library or SDK, maybe using an undocumented feature or using it in in a way it maybe wasn't quite designed mm-hmm. to do, but they've worked they've they've got some great workaround and they've managed to, you know, short create a shortcut for something yep. or whatever it might be. And it uh, again, in my relatively limited experience of, of seeing some of this firsthand, it's usually those kind of things that cause um, like things to explode when other things get updated. It's not, it's not usually the uh, the sort of expected uh, usage of these kind of things that uh, that screws things up. I mean, it's definitely not always the case, but mm. certainly from from what I've seen, it's more often the the shortcuts, the misuse, the sort of uh, oh, I've just discovered this interesting thing that I didn't even know this could do, and it's undocumented, so I'll just use it. I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, sure, but I mean, the, the responsibility of making sure that it all keeps working, that due diligence is definitely on the user of the library. Sure, the creator of the library should do the same thing for the stuff that he or she reuses down the line, but if I include something in a uh, by-the-rules and on-by-the-book uh, way, it doesn't really matter, I have to have uh, CICD pipelines, uh, unit testing, sure. performance monitoring, whatever. There's plenty of tools out there to make sure that, that my stuff... And there will always be edge cases, but those edge cases should be in the the, the, the single percentiles <laughs> numbers of usage, and not uh, yeah some uh, some worldwide uh, worldwide uh, yeah downage of an application something. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't I don't disagree. I think uh, it's it's that, uh, we're coming uh, too how do you call it too late back. I mean, it's so easy to just pluck a library, I needed something to write a PDF, I'm not going to write it myself, oh, this is library on GitHub, I'll just pull it down, plug it in, hey, it works, fine, done, publish it. I'm exaggerating, although that's how I work <laughs> for my private <laughs> stuff, not for my business work. I'm not a developer as a professional, so I can say it. Uh, but I can imagine that in a crunch time situation, yeah, it's easy just grab a library, you look up a couple of reviews on Stack Overflow, people seem to be happy about it, seem to be doing what they're doing, so let's pop it in there and nobody looks at it again. It gets... I'm not sure if it's a purely open source-centric or closed source thing, because your example is definitely a closed source example. Open source will probably suffer from, suffer from the same issues. Yeah, it's not really yeah. a differentiation there. But it's definitely something that's getting more and more prevalent because of the way things interoperate better it's much yeah. easier now to use something to borrow something or even to steal something because it uses uh, generalized abstractions uh, apis whatever you can call it and um, yeah it's going to be something that's not it's not going to get better before it gets worse i think indeed <laughs> right so tell me moving how on up. 
Yes. So slips. Slips happen all the time on banana peels and all sorts of other slippery surfaces. But we're talking in this case about uh, project slips. Um, this the art. This article is a little bit older. It comes back from uh, April twenty third, and it's it's specifically talking about the U.S. Army being confident that any tech schedule slips are recoverable. This is, of course. Um, in reference to all of the um, delays and impact that the coronavirus pandemic has had. Uh, So yes, sorry, we couldn't get through a full episode without mentioning it in some way, shape or form. Um, Has had on a variety, you know, everything through the the suppliers, the the people responsible for actually delivering these services, the people responsible for installing them, setting them up and all these kind of things. So... In this article, and the article itself, as as Jan has has said in a couple of these, is not the particular point of focus here. Although I would say, you know, US armed forces are not really known for running a tight ship when it comes to overall programs. They are, I think, some of the largest areas where you'll see kind of cost overruns and... um, and in project deadlines just disappearing off into the sunset. So the fact that, you know, an organization like that is talking about the fact that they think the any tech slip schedule slips are recoverable, I think is absolutely laughable. Um, and when we were talking about this before we started recording, Jan made the good point that, uh, yeah, I'm sure they are recoverable, <laughs> but depends very much on the time frame that you expect that uh, that recovery to happen. Now, the US Army are saying that uh, are talking about a particular project and that being delivered in a in a in during the summer or early fall, which is autumn for uh, people not in the US. And I I just don't really understand how. Um, We've already seen a lot of different projects, everything from very simple, uh, commonplace things like AAA games being announced that their various releases are being delayed because the developers working on them are having to work very differently, you know, not all in the same place, very distributed, you know, distributed away from, in many cases, their workstations, their hardware, their storage, all these kind of other things that they're normally very closely coupled to. And... Yeah, that is rippling through, well, pretty much everything, everybody and everywhere. Um, Very few organizations are isolated from the impact of this. So, yeah, I think this this for me is just a it's a bit of a a ridiculous article. Um, I think we need to we need to accept that many things will be slipping through this year in terms of timelines. Many budgets will be slashed due to the impact of what's happening um and that's gonna mean that things will slip even further you know priorities will have to be shifted um so i i just i think this this article just really rubbed me up the wrong way and that's probably come across (laughs) so things will keep slipping and cost more so business as usual basically uh, certainly for uh, U.S. government, yeah, I think so. Now, I do want to be on the side of our government brethren a little bit there. I mean, the things that governments do usually are a bit bigger and more ambitious, 
that's part of their, their their job as well, I guess. So the fact that these things slip more often than not, eh, I'll leave it in the middle if it's justified or not. But the only way that they could have actually a way, I used the way twice there, the only, re- the only way they can do this, catch up on these slips again, would be if their original planning was very wide and wrong. So maybe that's how they do it. They double. I mean, there's there's a thing you to say when the government does something, it costs twice what it's needed and takes twice the amount of time because it just overdimension everything. So in case something slips, they can shrink it down again. I don't know. Maybe. The other thing is that this shouldn't be an issue anymore, should it? The whole thing about project slipping, whether it be government or AAA uh, games and anything, because we're all doing things in agile, scrum, whatever fashions without using the waterfall module. So all project management is now fluid and easily recuperable or, or, or changeable or adaptable. So we don't really have deadlines anymore, so we can never ex- exceed them anymore. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I I'm trying to make sense of your article, man. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't bother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just think that we need to be realistic, and yeah. I don't think this article is realistic in any way, shape, or form. It's just, uh, at best, um, propaganda, and at worst, just totally delusional are you saying it's an election year in the u.s <laughs> oh i'm so not getting into that <laughs> well if you're not getting into that get us out of this all right in that case unless there's anything else for you no my farewell speech got delayed so it's going to happen next time Fair enough. In that case, that's all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a patron. Every contribution really helps. We are on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, make me happy, all of the YouTube things. Please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about this podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag and send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is Dave. And my name is Justin Time Young. And we look forward to talking to you next week. See you then, Justin. 